Good morning, Reach Church. All right, it's good to be with you and to be worshiping the Lord. Uh, if you're heading to Reach Kids, you guys can go ahead and head out now. Otherwise, uh, join me in prayer. Father, we praise you as the one who is holy. Holy, holy, holy are you. We praise you as the holy one, as the perfect one, as the one who is worthy of all praise. And Father, we're reminded that we are not holy. But through the blood of Christ, we are, we are holy as you are. That we have been washed clean. That we are perfect as Christ is perfect. And so Father, we ask that we live out of that new identity. Would you lead us now uh, through your word, by your spirit, that we may see Christ and love him and, and honor him with all of our lives. Would you use your word and pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing in our series, Everyone Needs a Friend. And today we're looking at a certain type of friendship. We're looking at the mentor-mentee relationship. We're looking at mentorship, that kind of special friendship, which of course is exemplified in the relationship between Timothy and Paul. Now, as I, as I gear up to talk about this, I have to admit, um, this is perhaps one of the most difficult relationships to actually forge. Because as we've been talking about, uh, friendship requires that, that we come together in some sense, but also that we abandon the things that, that the differences that kind of distract from our friendship, that distract from the goal that we have to get to. And so the more different the friends, the, the more they have to abandon and, and release and let go that they can get to the goal they've set for themselves. And in a mentor relationship, difference is kind of the name of the game. You have differences in, in age and maturity and experience kind of by necessity. And so this is going to be a difficult relationship. It's not going to be a natural relationship. And in our culture, we're going to talk about how this is a a relationship that takes a lot of work. These things oftentimes don't just fall into place. And so as, as we gear up to talk about this, uh, I'm a little nervous because it could be completely irrelevant if you guys don't do anything with it. Because most of you aren't actually in, in mentor-mentee relationships right now, most, most likely, that I know of. And so this sermon requires you to, to do something afterwards. I can't make you enter into these kind of relationships. I can, tell you, I can tell you why you need to be in them. I can tell you how to do them, but I can't actually create them for you. And so if this sermon is going to go anywhere, it needs you guys to, to put legs on it in a sense. So are you with me in that? All right, all right, good, good. So uh, we're going to talk about this kind of relationship. And we're going to look at uh, three things. We're going to look at the context for mentorship, the context. We're going to look at the content for mentorship. And finally, we're going to look at the confidence that we have in mentorship. Okay? Context, content, confidence. How, how, how lovely is that? Three, three words to start with con. Uh, it took me a while to get to that. So just everyone notice. All right. Uh, we're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. So if you 
all the New Testament T books are, are together. So if, go to the T's. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And as we look at this, I, I want us to see that, that in mentorship, we're really investing in the lives of people. And we're, in, we're dependent upon Christ. We're investing in people dependent upon Christ. So let's, let's look at this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in, in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. All right, let's jump right into it. Point one, the context of mentorship. The context of mentorship. So mentorship naturally or kind of or more organically takes place in the context of, of two things. First, the family of God and the mission of God. Those two contexts. So let's first talk about how it takes place in the context of the family of God. Look at verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right, so something interesting there. We might miss it if we go too quickly. What does Paul call Timothy? He calls him my child. In chapter 1, he addresses Timothy as my beloved child. The relationship here is between a, a father and a son. That that is actually what we're getting at in a mentorship relationship. And we may think that that's, that's too much to ask. But if we look at the, the church in the Bible, it is always a family. That we are brothers and sisters. We are fathers and mothers. We are sons and daughters. That that is what the church is. The church is a family. And as we do family life together, the fathers and the mothers are recognized and they minister in a special way to the children, to the sons and to the daughters, to the sons and to the daughters. And for Paul and Timothy, that was, that was a reality. They actually spent enough time together and they, they did the work of ministry together so that that was not kind of a stretch to say that that was the, the relationship they had, that he was truly a son. And as we look at the life of Timothy, Timothy... Uh, it talks about his, his upbringing in the faith. 
and it mentions his mother and his grandmother. It doesn't mention his father. And so Timothy is kind of a, a spiritual, uh, he's without a dad spiritually. And Paul steps in and, and provides that for Timothy. Now that's, that's the context, that's what we're actually getting at when we're talking about mentorship. Now that's a problem. That's a problem because we live in an individualistic culture. An individualist culture. People who are obsessed with ourselves and our own little worlds and we're all kind of separated in our own little fields. Now that's just the case. Uh, there's nothing we can do about that. That's what America is. America is individualistic. It's probably the most individualistic uh, culture that, that has ever existed. I'm sure it'll get worse in the future, but uh, we've, we've set the bar pretty high. And so we, we naturally are not communal. We're all separated. And that means that the American church is remarkably individualistic as well. Is remarkably individualistic. And so we, we say things like, oh yeah, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We're fathers and mothers. And we have to admit that that's, that's kind of wishful thinking when we say that. That when we actually look at the relationships we have in the church, we mostly have acquaintances. Maybe some friends, but not necessarily family. We look at, we could look at our everyday lives and we say, okay, what, is my, what does my life look like in context to other people? Speaking for myself, like it's mostly me and Casey and Remy, and we eat dinner together, we do life together, but it isn't that intermingled with the rest of the community. And we probably all have that to varying degrees, but, but we are still individualistic. And we're each in our own kind of little worlds. Now, I'm not saying that for us to be hopeless. It's just, if we're going to do the mentoring thing, we have a, a large obstacle to get over. And we're going to have to change our lives. We're going to have to change kind of our whole cultural attitude. That the people in the church have to become more than just random people that we see on Sunday. That the people you mentor, the people you're mentored by, actually, we have to spend life together. To do life together. To share the sorrows, to share the good things, to, to just share the time. Otherwise, these things won't happen. And I'm, I'm afraid that a lot of the Christian church has turned into like, we come here with our Christian masks and our, our kind of play the Christian game, and then we go home and, and it never translates to anything. It doesn't actually become a community. And so the first step in actually creating these kind of relationships is we have to break down those barriers. We have to become weird, non-individualistic Americans. And people who are, who are united actually in more than just name. They were actually people who are our family. And I recognize that that is very hard to do and we are running an uphill battle. All right, so we're starting off, we're starting off hard. Woo! Um, but are, are we ready to do that? Are you willing to take the steps that, that would treat the church's family? What would that look like? I feel like we probably don't even realize 
what that would look like, and it's probably more extreme than we'd ever entertain. And I'm belaboring this point, so I'm going to keep going. Um, but really important, and probably worth another sermon, but alas, that is not today. So, uh, mentorship happens in, the, in the, the context of a familial church environment, but it also happens in the context of the mission of God. And that's where, if we're truly about the mission of God, and what God is doing, then we're going to be willing to, to enter into those family relationships. Because we recognize that there's something bigger going on than just you and me, me, myself, and I, my goals, my dreams, my aspirations. There's something bigger than your life, and it's the mission of God. And God has this, this overarching plan. He is getting out the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's telling people his word. He's telling people that he's gracious in Jesus Christ. And when we're on board with that mission, um, it's going to look very different how we relate to each other. Because I think we, we think of God's mission as, as a mission to, to evangelize the whole world. But that's not just a, a geographic thing. We tend to think of missions like we're, we're going to Kenya bringing the gospel to the whole world. But God also has like kind of a temporal vision. He's bringing the gospel to, to future people. To those who come after us. And when we step back and see like the big scope of things, we realize why we need mentorship. Because it's not just about our lives here now that, that there's a larger vision going ahead of us. And we want to be part of the mission, not just here during our lifetime. We actually want our ministry to, to be cast forward into the future. And we do that through, through mentorship. By ministering to the next generation. By building up people who will, who will continue the legacy of faith. And bring the word to those people in that time. So I would ask us, are we, are we kind of just myopic and narrow focused? And like, okay, what, what, what can I do for God? Or maybe we're not even there. We're even more distracted than that. But God, God, is, God is pulling over the, open the whole, the whole story of time and inviting us to take part in, in something that's much bigger than ourselves. To actually equip the the future generations for ministry. And so I'd, I would ask, do you have a legacy that you're building? A legacy of ministry? A legacy of, of the word of God? And we think of this like, like natural generation and say like, is our, is our family name going to die out with us? Is our spiritual family going to continue? Is your spiritual name going to continue? Is there anything being passed on? And as a mentee, are you being equipped for the future? Are you going to be ready to take up the mantle and, and take the gospel to this next time, this next generation? That's why we need mentorship. Mentorship.
Because we're dedicated to that mission. And we want to see God glorified, not just in this time, but, but in the time to come. And we're not just content to jump into heaven and say, well, we, I, I'm happy here. No, we're, we're concerned about the glory of God across all time. All right. Cool. That's why we do this. It's a big, it's a big vision. It's a big vision. But that's, that's why it says, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. That that's the model. It's to, to pass on the things you've been taught and they pass it on and we create generations of witnesses. There's a beautiful thing in that. And the, the glory of God compounding and multiplying. That's what we're getting at. All right. That takes, that takes a lot of... The context of mentorship, it takes a lot of adjustment. Right? It doesn't necessarily fit American Christianity and uh, American culture. That's why, that's why I was so overwhelmed. Like, oh, a lot is going to have to change in, in, in your lives to make this happen. And I trust that you can do that, but don't expect it just to fall into place. There's a lot, a lot warring against this happening. All right, but... All right, so you're sold. But second point, what, what are you actually supposed to do in this whole process? What's the actual content of mentorship? What are you giving to these people? What are you getting and what are you receiving? And I'm going to say, similar to last week, you're encouraging them. And you're encouraging them to invest their lives. To devote themselves to the mission of God, to the glory of God, to Christ and his word. So that's what Paul, that's what Paul is doing in First and Second Timothy. He's writing these letters to Timothy and they're full of encouragement and warning and reminders like keep running the race, keep being a good soldier, keep fighting, keep doing what you're doing. It's not necessarily anything new. It's, it's encouragement to, to stay the course. And he does that through, uh, in this passage, through three metaphors. Three metaphors or three, three images. And we're going to walk through each of these. The first one, uh, verse three. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. So Paul's reminding Timothy that this is a battle that's going on. This is a battle. And there are distractions. There are civilian pursuits that are going to pull you away from the battle. Now we imagine this. Imagine... Imagine soldiers. Soldiers riding in Humvees through the Middle East. And there's, they're watching out for, for bombs exploding on the ground. That every window is a potential threat. Every person is a potential threat. And they get out of their Humvees and start bartering at the local marketplace. And they're trying on clothes and and trying to get cheaper fruit. And that's what we're talking about here. They're like, there's a battle going on. And here they are, like, being civilians. Now, first of all, they're going to get killed if they do that. We're all going to get killed if we do that. Because we're not taking life as it is. And secondly, 
they're going to come back to their commanding officer and say, like, look, we got, like, T-shirts on sale and, like, bananas were half off. And, and the commanding officer is like, no, you had a job to do. What were you doing? That wasn't why I sent you out there. There's distractions. There's a lot of distractions. And the mentor is there to keep you, your eye on the prize, to keep you doing the mission. Now, Paul, Paul talks about that in, in two senses, mostly, in, in Timothy. The first one is kind of the worldly one, the worldly secular one. And he says the first distraction is, is just uh, like money and acclaim and material. And all, devoting your life to those kind of things, investing your life in those sorts of things, it, it has no permanence. It has no lasting value. It's not worth anything to, to the kingdom. And Jesus isn't going to be excited about the new outfit you bought. He just isn't. Um, and we have to recognize that. <laughs> Emma looks devastated about the new outfit. I don't know. <laughs> could be anything. I could say boats or tractors and yeah, devastate you all. Um, but there's, there's, there's a certain sense in which Paul's encouraging Timothy, like, don't, don't get distracted by that stuff. It'll pull you away. It'll keep you off your mission. And mentors, they, they're there to, to remind you as an older person that, like, it is, it is silliness. Now, I, I have the privilege of mentoring, like, a lot of middle schoolers, or I have. And they just, like, go on and on about sports cars and motorcycles and sea-doos and surfboards. And you're like, okay, like, like... Focus, like focus on, like it's not gonna, it's not gonna be lasting. And if you throw your life at that, like you're probably not gonna get them and be disappointed. And as older believers, we, we want to do that for the younger generation, help them see through the, the glitziness of the world. And we need help doing that. All right, the other one is, uh, the other one is the seminarian's problem is the. Uh, the religious people, they get distracted by foolish controversies, by fighting about theology and things that don't matter. And Jesus is just as displeased with that, that they're missing the point of worshiping God and, and loving people and getting all wrapped up in all these goofy theological discussions. So Paul warns about both of those things. Both are temptations. I want to make sure that we're aiming to please Jesus. That's what the mentor's job is. All right. Second image. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. All right. This has to do with the simple act of obedience. That the mentor is to encourage obedience. And the fact of the matter is, if you cheat, you're disqualified. If you're taking performance-enhancing drugs, you, you don't get the gold medal. You don't get the title. You get kicked out of the Hall of Fame. Like that's, you lose all the glory. And that's the analogy that, that Paul is using here. And he's constantly reminding Timothy, like, keep, keep pursuing holiness. Keep pleasing the Lord. 
keep running after that prize and not running after other things. To be holy as, as God is holy. And the mentor is to, to have those hard conversations and to encourage real holiness. I think often, as, as friends, we struggle to do that, but the mentor is, is uniquely able to. All right, last one. Third has to do with work. Verse 6. It's a hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, Paul is telling Timothy, like, the Christian life is hard work. It is labor. You're working your butt off. But you're doing so for a reward. And that reward is coming. And Paul reminds, is reminding Timothy that he has tasted the reward. He's tasted the first fruits. He's seen it. It's worth it. The work pays off. All right, the mentor job is hard. These are not fun categories. Like, work, obey, don't get distracted by worldly things. The mentor, the mentor has, a difficult, has a difficult job ahead of them. And what does the mentee do? What does the mentee do? Verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The mentee has it, has it pretty easy. Just think about it. Think about these things. You're not going to get it right away. You're probably still going to be distracted. You're still going to complain when you're doing the work. But like the Lord will give understanding and he'll get you through it and, and he'll teach you. Right? Um, brief interlude here. Um, what does it not say that the mentor needs to do? All right, the mentor's job is not to get on their hobby horse and complain about this current generation. Their job is not to, uh, to create an old school person. Their job isn't to, to turn the next generation into uh, a clone of the last generation. And that's where, as, as you mentor, you start to see the things that are actually uh, kind of superfluous and your own cultural biases or just the things that, that you idolize and the things that you love and the things that you get distracted by. And you start giving that to your mentee. And it's kind of shocking and, and unsettling when you start to see, oh, I'm, I'm turning them into the image of, of my sinful self. And that's where the the beauty of this relationship is that it, it purifies the mentor as well. That they get to see the things that, that they are devoted to and the things that they're culturally biased by. And both the mentor and the mentee start kind of cutting things off and saying, like, that's, that's superfluous, that's unnecessary, that's just a cultural way of doing things, that's your generation. And you get to this core stuff that's really good. And it's really hard, but it, it is the stuff that pleases the Lord. The simple things like obedience and faith in God and, and pleasing him. All right. Are we starting to see a problem with this? None of you are Paul. None of you are Paul. <laughs> And like the problem is that we're we're not that we're not that good. 
that Paul, Paul was extraordinary. And we, as, as we try to be Pauls, we recognize that we get entangled in civilian pursuits. And we don't run the race as we're supposed to. And we break the rules. And we just can't point our, our people to ourselves. Not in the way that we want to. And we have to admit that, that we're, we're not as good as we ought to be. And maybe we're not even qualified Timothys. That are we worth the investment? Are we going to be these, these faithful followers? Are we going to hear the things that we've been taught? And that's why I think that the whole mentor-mentorship, like, that's the thing that scares me. It's because, like, well, I'm not good enough to be a Paul. And why would someone waste their time on me being a Timothy? And we think that, that that's for some higher plane of Christian. And I'm, I'm here to say that that's, that's putting the focus on ourselves way too much. That we're focusing on ourselves. We're being individualistic once again. And, and we're missing the fact that the final point is that our confidence in all of this mentorship stuff is Jesus. That we're focusing on Jesus. And it's not about the mentor being amazing. It's about Jesus being amazing. And we're putting the focus on him. We're telling our mentee to focus on Jesus. To trust in Jesus. Look at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. That even as Paul says all of this stuff, the main and key and, and baseline point is Jesus Christ. That is the key thing. And that, yeah, you're a soldier. But you're only a soldier because... Jesus Christ already won the war. He defeated sin and Satan and evil. And the only reason you're a soldier is not because of yourself. It's because he enlisted you. That you were actually the enemy and he chose you. And he's going to make sure that you make it through the battle. We remember that Jesus is the one who, who already attained the crown. He ran the race and he was the only one who followed the rules. And he did that so that we may have the, the crown as well. He played according to the rules. We do not. But he gives us his crown in the end. And ultimately we're running towards the crown that is Jesus. That is relationship with him. That is enjoyment in him. It's all about Jesus. Finally we see that, that Jesus... He put in the work. He put in the work on the cross. The work that we do doesn't gain us anything besides, besides pleasing our, the one who already saved us. Who already released us. And we talk about the first fruits. Like Jesus Christ is the first fruits. He's the first risen from the dead. He is the guarantee that we're all going to rise from the dead as well. It's all about Jesus. It's not about Paul. That Paul, Paul isn't pointing to himself. He says, 
bound with chains as a criminal, but verse 9, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The mentor doesn't point towards himself. He points towards the boundless word of God. Towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. Towards the person of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what we're sharing with people. And that's what we're seeking together. We're seeking Jesus. Finally, verse 11. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's what Paul ends with. He ends with the encouragement that if, if you're in Jesus and with Jesus, even if you die, you will live. And if you suffer, you will, you will endure and you will be with Jesus Christ. And even if you are faithless, even if, even if the mentor is faithless, if Paul is faithless, Jesus Christ will remain faithful. He will make sure that the investment doesn't go, go down the hole. That our guarantee is in Jesus. That he is faithful by nature. And we can trust him. And we put all of the focus in him and on him. All right. This is now, this is now your time to do something. All right, what are you going to do with this? This can be a, a nice, happy message. Uh, but we are called to, to have people who are both Timothys and Pauls in our lives. Find a Timothy. Find a Paul. Find a Timothy. Find a Paul. Or at least, at least, I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't give you an out. No. Do that. Do that. And like build the family of God. Bring some people alongside yourself. Burden some people. And be burdened yourself. That we may actually call ourselves brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers. That's what we're called to be. That got wars against everything that we are, but that is what we're called to be. And we do that because we are committed to the mission of God. And we want to see Jesus glorified. And we want to pursue Jesus together. We do it for his sake because he has been faithful. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask for you to create relationships that, that we cannot create for ourselves. We ask that you would knit us together as a body that we would truly be a family. Father, would you Open our eyes to see the ways that, that we don't even want that, that we, we like the way that we live. Uh, it is less convicting. It's, it's less difficult. It, it demands far less of us. But Father, it, uh, it doesn't maximize your glory. So would you give us uh, eyes to see how glorious you really are, that you are beautiful, that, that what Christ has done is miraculous and, and awe-inspiring. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for including us in, in your mission. 
in the pursuit of your glory. We ask that you would give us eyes to see uh, that that vision is worth so much more than, than what this world can offer us. And Father, would we do this not just with aesthetic uh, misery, but with joy that we have you and we enjoy Jesus Christ, our crown and our eternal reward. Send us and, and give us these relationships. Maybe we be faithful as you have been faithful with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.